Welcome to Reading by Candlelight at Molly's Cottage, where we proudly celebrate and promote new Australian writers and their stories. I'm your host, Fiona Taylor. Each episode, I chat to an author whose book features in Molly's gorgeous monthly book boxes, along with a selection of handmade items that complement the book setting. Reading by Candlelight would like to acknowledge the deep history and culture of Nipaluna, so I pay my respect to the original owners, the Muin and our people. I also pay my respects to all First Nation storytellers and their elders. So light a candle, settle back, and let's meet this month's Reading by Candlelight book box author. Welcome, Claire Van Rin, to Reading by Candlelight at Molly's Cottage. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to join you, Fiona. It's so lovely to have you here to talk about your gorgeous debut. The Secrets of the Hue and Wren, isn't that the most beautiful cover? You must I, love it. I do. I love it. It's just stunning. It's such a pretty um, cover and it, it definitely speaks to their storyline as well. Yes, it does. And I've done my nails to match the blossoms and uh, I love that other people have matched it to the green tones. It's such a beautiful book. When I see it in bookshops, um, very often people will pick it up and and um only last week I said to a lady oh it's a beautiful book and she goes it is no I said no inside it's a beautiful book as well and she's like what but I'm just gonna buy it because of the cover that's awesome I have heard that a bit actually people just being drawn to the cover alone which I mean that speaks volumes to the designer Nikki Townsend who just did such an incredible job of it so yeah it's lovely now just first before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Here at Reading, Reading by Candlelight, we're all about celebrating new voices and so we add our appreciation of Aboriginal voices handed down for generations. Claire Van Rin is an awarded writer who started her career as a journalist in Launceston. She's worked as a magazine editor, communication specialist, and is manager of her own content creation business, Inkling Media. Now, as always, here at um, Reading by Candlelight, our chats are spoiler-free. And so I was wondering if you could give me a spoiler-free elevator pitch for The Secrets of the Hue and Wren. Sure. I always find this difficult because um, it's such a layered story. Uh, I'm sure that many authors have this trouble um, to just distill it into um, an elevator pitch, but I will have a go. Um, The Secrets of the Hue and Wren is an exploration of relationship between a very old woman and a young woman, and it's about how their lived trauma uh, binds them together and at the same time reveals a mystery that will set one of them, or you could even say both of them, free. You deliver two wonderfully engaging and emotionally driven stories to the reader, but how important was it or how difficult was it for you to give equal weight to both the timelines? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think that um, if you're writing a dual timeline, novel it is imperative that you do because uh otherwise the reader gets invested in one timeline mm-hmm. and um not the other and perhaps uh is tempted to skip um 
skip over one <laughs> to get back to the other. Uh, and I think that the way that I uh, ad- addressed that was to treat, in a sense, each chapter almost like an article on its own. I have a journalistic background, as you've mentioned, and um, and so to be able to build in that element of suspense into every chapter so that every single time they're leaving a, a, a timeline, they are compelled to return to it um, with that same uh, feeling of uh, anticipation as as the as the sense that they began with. So it's it's about having that tug always um, always pulling you um, to the next part. That's how I wrote it. And then uh, the other thing that I found was incredibly important and was addressed a lot in the editing process was to make sure that each chapter, each timeline spoke to the alternating chapter or timeline. So it might have been just a tiny little reference to, um, to a place or to a memory or even just something subtle like a colour, but they needed to bounce off each other a little bit so that it's not such a jarring experience to enter into the opposite timeline. Um, Oh, that's fascinating. I love that little snippet because yours do go seamlessly in between. And so that's how you did it. So you just put little bits from each one. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, I, yeah, just so that they kind of subtly speak to each other. And, yeah, like I say, just to make sure that the transition for the reader isn't so uh, jarring. Um, and and that's um, I'm writing my next novel now and, and that's what I'm grappling with at the moment because it's not, it's not really easy to do. And oh, when you start shuffling chapters in the editing process, you're faced with that, um, with, making sure that that is continued. So, you know, uh, with The Secrets of the Hue and Ren, we did um, move a few chapters. So we moved some forward um, and the knock-on effect of that was was challenging because I had to make sure that, A, the chapters were still speaking to each other and then, B, that the chronology of what happened thereafter was, um, was adjusted and I wasn't giving something away ahead of its time. So. Uh, yeah, that's part of the fun of editing, though, isn't it? I just love that. Now, our listeners always love the story behind the story. And at your recent book event in Hobart that Molly and I came to, to, you told a very interesting story about where this story came from. And can you share that with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family and I, we do a lot of travelling. Uh, in 2018, we took our little caravan and zipped up the east coast of Australia. So we left from Launceston and Tassie and uh, we headed as far as uh, Cooktown. Uh, but there was one evening in particular, we tucked the, the kids up into bed and we were uh, camped in Mareeba, which is far northern Queensland. And uh, we were chatting to this couple quite um, eccentric, interesting couple. And the woman, she was telling us about all the different careers she'd held down, um, police officer, nurse, and she was also a carer in a, in a nursing home. And she had taken a liking to a um, an elderly lady who had advanced dementia. 
And this lady had a doll that she cradled like a newborn baby and she had this exquisite tenderness for this doll that spoke to a story much deeper than, you know, the demonstration of love she was showing for this plastic thing. <laughs> and um, the the woman who we were speaking with, um, she said that most people had written her off because um, caring for a doll in that context, it's actually a form of therapy. It's not it's not terribly uncommon, actually, but uh, she she developed a soft spot for her, and she just listened. And over time, this woman would share chilling one liners, like "My daddy took my baby behind the shed." And after that conversation around the campfire, my husband and I we went back to the van that night, and we kind of just looked at each other immediately, and we were like, "Oh my goodness." There is a story in that. Mm. And and that basically, that was the kernel of an idea that became this book. Um, yeah, so that's how it yeah. all began. It's just, it's horrifying to think of what she was repeating about what that lady had said. And, um, but you wrote such a beautiful book about it, even though it was quite chilling to listen to it. And yeah. the start. and there are so many intriguing details in your book, especially in the 1953 timeline, because one of these is that Evelyn's father is a master carpenter, but also the town's undertaker. Um, what kind of research did you do to understand what you were writing about? Because I didn't, I never thought, yes, master carpenter, undertaker. Yeah, well, I guess because it's a rural setting, uh, people tended to be a bit of a jack of all trades. So the undertaker um, and carpenter kind of dual craftsman, if you like, um, was not actually uncommon because the undertaker would would make the coffins and so he had the skill, the carpentry skills to um, to be able to make furniture as well. So, um, but, I, but I did grapple on that a little, a little bit. Uh, I was kind of chewing it over, mulling, mulling it in my, um, in my mind. And it's a funny thing how, uh, when I was in the writing process, this happened so many times where I was trying to figure out a detail and then it would kind of land, land in my lap or kind of present itself in a, um, in a kind of serendipitous way. So we were at a pub. Um, oh, it was in the middle of nowhere. I can't remember the name of the pub at the moment. But um, I was looking at the photos on the walls and there was a photo, like a black and white, of a, of a gentleman from like the 1800s. And I looked at his name and in, in script beneath the photo it said, John Cummings. So immediately I was like, Cummings, you know, Mother Cummings Peak is um, a major uh, setting, part of the setting of my novel, even like a character, if you like. Um, so I was, I was immediately, um, you know, paying attention. And underneath that, um, his occupation was written and it said, Undertaker Carpenter. And I was just like, thank you, Lord. 
Yeah, yeah. affirmation I need to to know that it is a legitimate um, occupation for an undertaker to be to also be a carpenter. And then I I actually um, I have some friends who are in the in the undertaker industry <laughs> business probably. Um, and I spent a bit of time with him. Um, finding out about undertaking practices in the 1950s and specifically to a rural setting. So um, so Nora, uh, young Nora, helps her father to stitch the linings into the coffins and as he develops um, arthritis in his hands, she also helps him to actually prepare bodies for burial, which is a slightly macabre thing to um to help with but it also uh it it kind of it builds into her character and understanding of death and and also to pair back what it what life is um so I think she has a unique perspective as a result of her relationship with her father and his business and in the other story you have in your modern timeline, you have um, your protagonist, Alira, who's a journalist. And do you think that your background in journalism, of course, that would have helped you write her, any of you in her, I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alira um, is informed a lot by my own uh, personal experiences and career experiences as well. So um, I guess with with her occupation, she she works for a small lifestyle magazine called Folk, and that magazine uh, features people and their stories. And there's literally one black and white photo that accompanies each article, and it's a a raw uh, snapshot of them, just as the words are a telling of their real life experiences and. I I just created a magazine for Alira that I, I would love to exist. <laughs> um, and I guess perhaps it was also inspired somewhat by the likes of Humans of New York, that kind of storytelling. Uh, and, yeah, I guess in terms of whether Alira is like me, um, I like what I heard uh someone say recently actually I think it was I was listening to your interview on here with um oh author of Lenny Marks Gets Away with Murder. Karen Maine. Thank you. <laughs> um about how our characters are um a third yourself, a third um uh kind of research and a third um imagination. I like that. Um, and it would definitely apply to Alira um, and and some of her other experiences as well, which I probably can't really touch on quite so much no. because they would <laughs> give things away. And it's, uh, yeah, it's such a beautiful name that you chose for her too. Thank you. I love naming my characters. It's one of my favourite things to do. <laughs> um, I, I Like I loved naming my children. Um, my husband's a teacher, so there were immediately a lot of names that couldn't be used when we named our kids. <laughs> so I've just used them in my novel. <laughs> I've heard that said so many times by teachers that there's just like scratch. No, yeah. 
I'm calling them that name. Yeah. <laughs> That's very much the case. Yeah. Alira's surname is Ambrose and um, that's the other name I had chosen for my son. His name's Roman. Um, my husband just didn't like it, but it's actually <laughs> it's actually a family name. We have it uh, as a, a guy, I don't know, in my father's line. I just thought it was such a beautiful name, slightly effeminate, I guess, but um, it worked well for Elira as her surname. <laughs> At least you could use it. Yes, exactly. I love yes, that. Some people just give it to their dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I said, you ha- you do touch on some serious issues in your timelines, and as we don't give spoilers, we're not going to we're not going to talk about that. But what I'm interested in is how difficult is it to write scenes, knowing there could be readers who have experienced what you're writing about. Really, it touches on one of the reasons I write, um, and that is to build empathy. Um, and I guess as as I research, so if I'm writing about a topic that I don't necessarily know about, um, for example, dementia, uh, because of that that experience around the campfire, the topic of dementia was one that was kind of handed to me. It wasn't necessarily something I have immediate experience with. I know people who have loved ones who have um lived with dementia in their in the ends of their their lives and so I guess I've, I've learned uh, their their anecdotal um stories um but I've also researched and in order to understand and in order to uh, build empathy which then can be shared with the reader and I think that's the beauty of reading is that we uh learn other points of view and we can then take that into our community and understand our world better. I think that it is important that um, we grow through our reading and by reading stories that may not be our own lived experience but we learn through those characters and I think that our empathy grows that way and I think that that's a beautiful way of putting it and you handled the scenes beautifully. Um, they didn't feel gratuitous there. And those experiences were so important to the story you were telling and the connection between your protagonists. And um, I must say, I did cry a few times. <laughs> and um, I I cried with the characters, for the characters. And I think that that shows how perfectly you captured, captured their experience on the page. So congratulations Thank with that. You. That's lovely. yeah we can't have a favorite child but which characters you enjoy writing the most yeah well you you may even guess it it's it's definitely young Nora I loved writing her and perhaps it's because um through her I was able to revisit my childhood the farmland beneath Mother Cummings Peak and the the way that those mountain ranges um, of the Great Western Tears kind of brood over that setting, um, that that is that is what I remember of my of my childhood. And she she took me back there, and quite literally, actually. So um, there were quite a quite a few times I I 
I spent time there writing in that place so that I could really capture um, all the details. Um, one time I um, threw my bike in the back of our ute and, and zipped out there and parked at the little church in the paddock and I rode the the trail that she would have ridden to school each day so that I could um, write details into the novel that uh, that I don't think I would have picked up otherwise. Mm. Things like um, like pieces of wool caught in the barbed wire fence kind of flapping around like flags in the wind and um, a kookaburra sitting on a plough and um, the little cottages with their plumes of smoke and um, acting like, you know, uh, rem- reminders that there are people living inside them and um, uh, all those little little bitty things that build uh, detail into the storyline. So I loved writing those um, those parts of Nora's life and I just I love her character because she is a free spirit mm-hmm. and she she just has this innate a, a spirituality, a connection to um, to where she is and how she, the way she perhaps explores who she is is so refreshing and especially when it's juxtaposed with her, her mother mm-hmm. and her mother's um, rigid religiosity. I loved those um, those images that you had, especially the um, the wool of the of the sheep on the barbed wire, like but like bunting, and it's just it was so evocative. I love that. Okay, so young Nora is my favorite character, and I really felt connected to her because her feelings of being an outsider, um, struggling to find her place in the world, were just so were so raw and. She's a beautiful character, like you said. She's she's she has strength in 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 who she is. And is she based on anyone that you know, or just a a, a lot of different little bits from pieces taken from everyone? Yeah, she's she's actually not based on anyone I know in particular. Like, yeah, she's probably a an amalgamation of many things I love in the women around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess too that her her struggles are the struggles of every person to fit in, aren't they? To be seen and heard and to be loved and to find her unique voice. And um I think that whether we're young or old, that these are ingredients um that are essential for knowing our value and our worth. So that's um, that's what I explored in young Nora's character. Yeah, and I guess too that something that informed those particular themes um, that I explored in The Secrets of the Hue and Wren was an encounter I had with an elderly lady um, many, many years ago. Uh, so I was walking along the Tamar River which is also in the novel, in the Launceston um, setting. Um, and I was walking with my three-year-old daughter, Adelaide, and uh, there was I came across a, another lady 
um, walking her cute little dog. And uh, dog and child obviously got chatting. <laughs> um, and I was I was chatting to the elderly lady who was delightful and, you know, just small talk. And we went to go our separate ways and this woman, she said to me, thank you so much for stopping. Um, you know, it really means a lot. And I was like, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Didn't really think anything of it. Uh, and she said, you know what? You disappear when you get old. Mm. And uh, that line uh, was, it just has lodged in my head ever since. And I think that that has been an undergirding of everything in this book is that you shouldn't disappear when you get older. We should be heard and have a voice right to our dying years. Um, and there should be value in who we are at no, ma no matter what age, whether we're young, as young Nora um, is explored and, and her voice at, at one point is quashed and, um, and she is downtrodden. But right through to when she's older and she is perhaps written off with her dementia and, um, and you know, she, she needs to be valued and heard in that stage of her life as well. So that's, that's a theme that um, carries throughout and, yeah, was informed by that one little encounter. And I'm grateful to that lady for t sharing with me how she felt because it was obviously um, incredibly impacting. I hope that one that maybe she reads it and yeah that listens and and maybe recognizes that that sh that she's that person which would be wonderful. It would that'd be amazing. <laughs> so, I always ask people, who would you like to play your character? So, who would you think that could play Nora as a young and older woman? <laughs> it would so blow my mind to to have it made into a movie. I guess it's like one of those things, isn't it? It's like the epitome. Um, I I think that the the face that comes to mind when I think of a young Nora is Emma Stone. I think oh, yes. that she just has that beautiful wide eyed sense of wonderment kind of written all over her face anyway. <laughs> um, and, you know, because I'm just aiming right up the top here. <laughs> and um, perhaps old Nora, I just immediately think of Helen Mirren, perhaps just because I'm in love with her acting anyway. But, um, yeah, she has a beautiful expressiveness that I think would portray her character really beautifully. <laughs> I um I love Helen Mirren. Uh, I was thinking so. Um, there's a brilliant young um, Australian actor named Julia Savage, and she was in The Clearing, um, and Class of 07. She's only 15 years old, but oh my goodness, her presence on screen is amazing. So I thought her for young Nora, and for older Nora, I was thinking Jackie Weaver, oh, and, yes. because she's Jackie Weaver. Yes think that she can do that um person who is sometimes not with us but then has flashes of brilliance where they return and I think that she would play somebody with dementia with with such um bravery and um I think she'd be wonderful yeah yeah love it love it for all our writers listening are you a plotter or a pantser 
<laughs> I, I I would say I'm a pantser, although with moments of plotting. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the fact that, you know, I was, the, the idea was really such a small starting point. It definitely wasn't, you know, a, a formulated, you know, story. It was one tiny element. And I started by writing the ending, um, which initially was a prologue. And then and then I worked towards it, but I just let the characters kind of take me there. Um, and then the prologue I ripped out and and planted it towards the end and then drip fed the detail through. So yeah, I just I just love the freedom of of writing so that your imagination and because um, I, fi- I find that writing is a very spiritual process for me. So I don't like to take control of it. I like to let mm. it take me. So yeah, pants are all the way. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any advice that you could give anyone who is writing to be published? Yeah. Um, well, I think that what's important is to write a lot Mm. and to write a lot so that you can find your voice because I I guess I've been writing for a really long time before I before I started writing fiction and um, it's been such an amazing thing to have my work published I mean you know it goes without saying but um but to have the very first piece of fiction that I wrote be picked up and published by Penguin, I've been kind of considering how did that happen? <laughs> um, how did that happen for me? Uh, and I think that it's that a lot of it is because I've actually been writing for a really long time. I've and all through that time I've been finding my voice. Not it's not like I've been you know. Uh, I've been calling that for for all that time and you know I started writing um as a journalist in 2006 I think uh <laughs> so all those years even though I've been writing for people I've been writing opinion pieces I've been writing um to build people's brand presence and um you know blog pieces and, you know, all the different kinds of writing have helped me understand what my voice looks like and what I love to write. And therefore, when I've come to write whatever it is I want to write, it it was formed, um, it has come together in in a really beautiful, logical way. So, um, so all of that is to say, write a lot and um, be committed to it. So, um, one thing that um, my little writers group we encourage each other to do is to write for five minutes a day. Um, so, set a set a timer on your phone or a reminder, and um, instead of scrolling on social media, grab out a note notebook or your laptop or whatever and just write five minutes because five minutes is is achievable it's like ludicrously achievable um and if you only write five minutes that's totally fine you've done it tick tick it off 
And if you end up writing for two hours, then good on you. And um, that's wonderful that you've found, you know, some kind of stream of consciousness or some kind of flow by pushing forward and and just, um, I guess, progressing your craft a little bit every day, you will improve um, so very much. But there's, oh my goodness, there's just so many, there's so much that I have learned in this process. I could go on for hours, but, um, but yes, just write. I think that the write five minutes a day is excellent advice. And pressure is what, is what inhibits creativity, I think. So when you've got this built up in your chest or in your head of, oh my goodness, I haven't done my thousand words today or whatever, it's, it's the, it's just so um, oppressive <laughs> and I just find I can't work under that kind of um, pressure. So if you set yourself a goal that's, yeah, achievable, then you release yourself to achieve actually much more. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. Now, for all our readers, can you recommend a book by an Australian author that you've read recently and would recommend? And, yes, you can have more than one because everybody shows more than one. Um, absolutely. And I did mention her earlier. I've just, I've read Lenny Marks Gets Away with Murder by um, Karen Main and it was fantastic. I love it so much. And I had read Eleanor Oliphant is absolutely fine before that and immediately saw saw the um, resemblance, I guess, in, in the quirky um, character. And uh, I guess it's also just that insight into a different the workings of a of a different person's brain, and I I just um, yeah couldn't recommend it more highly. I also love a little bit of a um, whodunit or a you know a crime twist, um, and I'm also um, a bit of a sucker for Sandy Docker's books and her latest book, The Red Gum River Retreat, was a real delight to read as well, and. Um, Enhanced by the fact I met her recently when she visited Tassie. So that was really lovely. She's a beautiful person. So, yeah, highly recommend those two. Thank you. And so, yeah, Sandy is a lovely person and all her books are gorgeous and they have beautiful covers. Yeah, I love her books. They look like a rainbow. They can fit in my (laughs) rainbow shelves. And um, I'm a big fan of Karen's um, Lenny Marks. It's one of my favourite books now I'm excited to hear about your next book which is terrible because I know we're talking about one book and then but you are writing a second book at the moment is there anything you can tell us about it uh yeah well I'm I'm finding it hard to get back into it because after all the excitement of uh book launches and all the kind of exposure that's happening out there it's very hard to kind of um get my headspace um I guess decluttered (laughs) but when I get back to it I'm about a quarter of the way through and I've been researching a very interesting gentleman in my family tree who was a taxidermist Um, he worked for the Tasmania Museum and Art Gallery and he has thousands of specimens in their collection and I've learned all kinds of interesting things about him I don't think he will actually he won't be a historical character necessarily so much as inform one of the characters in the novel 
And it's a novel that also includes journey because last year um, my family and I, we did a lap of Australia in our caravan uh, and I want to write some of those places into the book because we just saw so many uh, beautiful, beautiful things and I would love to um, give a little nod to those places as well. And so The Secrets of the Hue and Wren is the Reading by Candlelight August book box, but it's already gone on sale because July sold out um, for Molly's Cottage. And you helped Molly choose cider as the drink and apple cinnamon as the scent. And can you tell us why and how they t- tie into your story? In the in young Nora's timeline, so in 1953, Nora's home um, on... It's kind of on a farm in the farm area beneath the Western Tears. There's an orchard and it's one of Nora's favourite places. She goes there and daydreams and um, all the apple trees are named after heroes out of her favourite classic literary novels. So that's the significance of apples and apple trees and apple scents um, in The Secrets of the Hue and Wren. Beautiful. And I love that um, the trees were named after those characters because they were books that I read as a teenager and um, and all of those um, romantic interests. Mm-hmm. On behalf of Reading by Candlelight at Molly's Cottage, I want to thank you for being the August Book Box author. And I know that everyone who has ordered it is going to love your book as much as I have as well as enjoy the treats that come with this, that complement the story. And it is such a beautiful story. It has tragedy, romance, a mystery, and when it's sold, it brings so much to everyone involved. There, there is some happiness at the end, thank goodness, because I was weeping when I was reading the final <laughs> chapters because I was thinking, oh, no. Uh, yes. No, it is redemptive. There's, there's resolution, I promise. <laughs> And there's been so much love for your beautiful, beautiful book. On You've had so many five-star Goodread reviews. There are so much support from the Tasmanian reading and writing community behind you. But not only that, I've been, I've seen it in every bookstore that I've been in lately. So in Melbourne, in Perth, in um in Hobart, Claire, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I think that it lends itself well, especially to um to book clubs as well. And before we go, I'm just going to ask you, can you tell me about your earrings? <laughs> I was wondering if you would ask. They're very adorable. <laughs> They're like, um, a friend gave me these. They're blue wren um, earrings. And Actually, do you know, I have received so many gifts of Blue Wren um, themed. I had a scarf the other day. I've got like all these little little things sitting here. Like a, I've got like a little brooch and um, oh, like another friend bought me like this little tiny ceramic hand-painted Blue Wren because I guess Blue Wrens are just the theme of my season at the moment. So um isn't it gorgeous? <laughs> I'd love to see human wrens. I'd love to see carvings of Oh well. Oh, here's one. <laughs> it's um my husband bought me me this when I finished my manuscript. So it's like it's hewn pine and um and a little bit of copper and it's made here in Tassie, so 
Oh, that's so Thank beautiful. That's so precious. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. Oh, thank you. Now, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today, Claire. Thank you for your time. No, it's such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, Fiona. Thank you so much for featuring um, The Secrets of the Huon Ren. It's just a, a real joy. Thank you. Bye. Okay, see you. Thank you for visiting Molly's Cottage, home of the Reading by Candlelight Book Box, the only book box subscription that supports emerging Australian authors and their stories. Head to Molly's website, mollyscottage.com.au or follow her and Reading by Candlelight on socials.